This is an ABC podcast. And we begin. Yes, let's do it. On. G'day. Hello, Zan. Nice to see you on the beige carpet. Thank you. I like to call it champagne. <laughs> it's going to be a very big bang on today. We are going to be talking about the Oscars very, very soon. That's not yeah. the only thing that's happened, though, this week, although it's felt that way. This is your shortcut to music, art, life and stuff, and we will cover it all. Lizzo, big news about Lizzo coming to Australia. Meg White's drumming. The questions around the skill of that. I don't know if you saw this, but we'll unpack it for you. Um, some good TV and a great book, but of course, the event that has gleefully dominated the week, Miff, the 95th annual Academy Awards. Did you watch for the two and a half hours that it was going? No, I did not. Actually, I, was, watched... I think it was three and a half. Yeah, too long, too long. It's like all movies these days, too long. Um, and quite frankly, we don't need to watch the whole thing anymore because we have the highlights on the internet. And... For that, I am very grateful. And I know that a lot of people do watch the Oscars and love the whole ceremony and all of that, but I ain't got time for that anymore, have you? <laughs> have I, you really? Well, I was watching a little bit here and there, but I also saw it. I was like, oh, three and a half hours. I really, and I know this is going to sound daggy, but I really needed to get into the garden. I had a day off on Monday yeah. and I've been neglecting my garden over the summer and I really needed to put some some legwork, really get my hands in the, in the soil, in the dirt. So I was spending a lot of time, um, you know, giving some TLC to the garden. But then every now and then I'd go on to the internet and see people losing their shit. I was like, oh, and I sort of had it going in the background and run inside. So I saw bits and pieces sweating with my garden gloves on. But like That's you, right. I just caught up on, on everything else. I mean, there's a lot to cover. Should we begin at the beginning? Yeah, I think we begin with Jimmy Kimmel stating the fact that uh, if there is a slap at this particular Oscars, it was it was the elephant in the room after last year's events, there is a slap at the Oscars, uh, basically you'll get to win the Best Actor Award <laughs> and you'll get to talk for 12 minutes. So um, I thought that was actually quite a nice way. I mean, I've got to say, I don't want to see another Oscars hosted by Jimmy Kimmel, to be fair. Oh, really? It's... You didn't like it? Oh, look, I don't mind, but I'm just done with all those blokes doing the Oscars. I'm just True. bored. I'm yeah. bored. No disrespect. Very very talented, all of that, but it's just boring. Do you bring back Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. They'll totally, bring it home. They're amazing totally. hosts of all but, award ceremonies. I mean, America is, is has got a wealth of talent. I just don't know why we keep coming back to these same guys all the time. But, yes, he did acknowledge that huge elephant in the room and uh, the whole thing went without a hitch, which is great. Apparently they wanted him to host because they felt like it was a pair of safe hands and they specifically did not want him to reference the slap, which he did several times through the night. Yeah. He also brought out a donkey, which was one of my favourite moments, referencing mm. the Banshees of Inner Sharon, which is one of the films that was nominated in, in various capacities. Colin Farrell, B- Brendan Gleeson, beautiful film. I think I might have banged on about it. If not, go see it. It's great. But I'm can scared, I say- though. Can we t- discuss the donkey? They brought it onto the stage, but I know that bad things happen to that donkey in the movie, and that's why I will never see it. Yeah, I, maybe this is not a film for you. Spoiler <laughs> alert. But can I say, it wasn't the real donkey, as if they actually brought the actual Irish donkey, but Colin Farrell's face when he saw that donkey. Someone shared the meme of... Um, Ron Swanson, when he's got his little hands out for little Sebastian in Parks and Rec, and how excited he is. That was Colin Farrell at the Oscars. He was so pumped to see that little donkey, and it filled oh, my heart. It filled my heart. 
Donkeys are the best. I think people underestimate donkeys. There's one on um, Instagram or on Reels, probably on TikTok as well. And I can't remember his name. He's got a, a you know an old man name like Maurice or something. And, <laughs> And he just yells and screams at his mum whenever she says good morning. It's like, good morning. It's like, <laughs> and then he comes running. It's one of the funniest, most heartwarming things. They are the most heartwarming animals you'll ever meet. They love cuddles. They're beautiful. They're Donkeys and beautiful. goats are the actual goats of the animal kingdom, aren't they? Exactly. exactly. The best. Yeah, um, so I totally get where Colin Farrell's coming from. There was also a bear, but not a real bear. This was a weird moment. And, I mean, let's, you know, we have it on record just a couple of weeks ago. I gave Cocaine Bear five stars. You did. In my film review, the Elizabeth Banks directed film. Five bags, I think you've given it. (laughs) Five bags. She came out um, and was followed by Cocaine Bear. She had a touch of the laryngitis, and I salute her because, goddamn, if I was asked to present at the Oscars, and laryngitis, if you're not aware, is is just a, a condition that's follows after a cult. So it's not mm. a disease that you can catch. It's just your vocal cords get shredded. She wasn't spreading anything bad. But if I had laryngitis and someone said, oh, you've been asked to do the Oscars, maybe a bit too sick, we can't really understand what you're saying. No, I'm still going. <laughs> I would absolutely, as Elizabeth Banks did, still turn yes. up with my croaky voice, um, but helped, helped by Cocaine Bear. This didn't quite oh. work for me. The bit I found confusing was when Cocaine Bear came out and had a convers- like tried to have a conversation with Malala in the audience. What was going on there? What was the purpose of that? Well, he was kind of just, well, again, when I say he, I'm assuming it's a man. It could have been a woman, someone, a human in a suit, in a bear suit, mm. crawling out into the crowd. This was afterwards too. I think Jimmy Kimmel was out in the crowd and Cocaine Bear just turned up. And it was oh, strange. So Cocaine Bear just turned up? Yeah, so this Not was... Not scripted? Well... I mean, it's all scripted, right? Within, mm. Although maybe not, you know, the slap. It's not all scripted. <laughs> but the cocaine bear reappeared later on because Jimmy Kimmel was out in the crowd. They had to reset the stage for a big musical number. And they said that, I think it was right before Rihanna performed the song that she was nominated for, for Wakanda Forever. And... Jimmy Kimmel is out there doing bits where he's basically saying we've got some audience members who have, you know, emailed in with or tweeted in with questions and we'd like to ask you. And he asked this silly question of Malala, which is just so odd. And I just feel like someone like Malala who's like, first of all, the backstory of what Malala's been through, but also throwing her into this environment, which would, I imagine, be, you know, even though she's been on the world stage for the last few years, Oscars is a weird vibe and it's kind of this in-jokey vibe and she makes this, he makes this off-the-cuff joke and she, to her credit, rises above and says, I only speak about peace and kind of just shuts him down. But then Mm. moments later, Cocaine Bear comes out and he's crawling on the ground and almost pawing at her and I was like, what is happening? This is just so bad. Not good. Not good at all. Whose idea was that? Of all the people in the room to do that to, whose idea was that? To a, a young woman like Malala, like strange, very strange. Yeah. Go up to someone who would invite that kind of activity. Who would invite cocaine bear pouring them though? <laughs> Just think about that. That's a good point. <laughs> I would. I would. If I was famous and up for an Oscar, I would encourage that immensely. But no, you're right. It's it's a level of respect, isn't it? And I don't think that's the person that you need to show disrespect to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There are a lot of great speeches. We're going to get to some of the great highlights and the big awards that were given out. But it did start early with, um, I guess, what you could call a speech from Hugh Grant. Mm. <laughs> I mean, red carpet chats, they're always quite vacuous, but some are yeah. particularly painful to watch. And 
um, this was a real moment, wasn't it, when Hugh Grant was approached by Ashley Graham, the one of the hosts, asking some fairly softball questions of Hugh on the red carpet. So she asked, what's your favourite thing about coming to the Oscars? Seven seconds pass. Um, <laughs> it's a long time. <laughs> and then he says, very non-committal, it's fascinating, but it gets worse. What are you most excited to see tonight? To see? Yeah, well, I know that you probably watched a few of the movies. Are you excited to see anybody win? Do you have your hopes up for anyone? Um, not, not, no, no one in particular. Okay, well, what are you wearing tonight then? Uh, just my suit. Your suit? Who yeah. made your suit? You didn't make it. Um, I can't remember. My tailor. That's okay. Yeah. Shout out to the tailor. Yeah. <laughs> She's trying. She's trying so hard. And I really like Ashley. She's trying to keep the, ship, the ship afloat. She's fabulous. But it really derailed when, A, she called him a veteran, which she didn't hear oh, in that crowd. Oh, no. And then also, I mean, and which he is, and that's fair, but you don't want to be called old on the red carpet because you're already feeling your insecurities, I'm sure. And then she asked if he liked the Oscars and he said, well, it's Vanity Fair, isn't it? Now, this could, A, be a reference to... Uh, the classic English novel by William Makepeace. And it could also be a reference to Bunyan's 1678 Christian allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress, because Vanity Fair, that's where these terms first originated, mm. which means basically a vacuous event for people. The frivolities and, of the rich. And she didn't get it. She just went, oh, yeah, Vanity Fair, that's where we're all going to party. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. With cocaine so bear. Yeah, with cocaine bear. And it was like two steps of derailing before then it all just turned to shit, basically. And I, But he has a bit of a history and a reputation for fobbing people off on the red carpet. So why would you bother? Why would you approach? I mean, maybe they wanted that viral moment. I feel like she hadn't done her research. You know, someone else pointed out all the different moments of the red carpet awkwardness. Stuart Heritage wrote a great piece in The Guardian which captured Mm. all of these, and I'd forgotten about it a few years ago. There was an awful moment at the red carpet. I think it was the Oscars, and Dakota Fanning was there with Melanie Griffith, and she just starred in Fifty Shades of Grey, and the setup for it was kind of gross, particularly when you watch these things a few years later and you're like, oh, the language around this is awful. Like she's basically mm. setting up the person who was um, interviewing them both was just like, oh, and what, what must it feel like to have your little girls all grown up? It was just oh, so gross, infantilizing and yeah. talking about that and then directly linking it to this, you know, basically S&M film, Fifty mm. Shades of Grey, and then throwing it back to Melanie Griffith asking if, there she'd watched, if you've watched it. Yeah. And just really pushing that home and then bringing up scenes. <laughs> just truly, truly yeah. awful. It's just like, you know, when you're watching a movie at home and you think it's a, like it's a fine movie and then all of a sudden when you're a teenager or a kid, a sex scene comes on and you're just like no one in the room is looking at each other and you can't mm. believe you're watching this with your parents. It felt yeah. like that. Oh, that's awful. That is, I mean, I've got shudders even thinking about that. <laughs> And also you even think about locally, things like the Logies, give us a twirl, love, you know, that was going on and the Brownlows for years. That's all the hosts would ever say and they'd quite often be male, you know. And like pan, the would, pan the camera up and down on the dress. Yeah. And the men weren't ever asked to, to give it a twirl. Now that's changed now. So you stand on this circular thing that spins around if you want to. But they used to say that to you and it's just so patronising, isn't it? Give us a twirl. Give love. us a twirl, love. Let's have a little pan up and down. The reaction of Hugh Grant is not um, uncommon if you're British. In fact, I think that Stuart in this Guardian piece has pointed this out, that 
Um, it is something that happens, you know, these are British people. It's not rudeness, it's just people being British. And, of course, uh, called to mind the one of the most iconic red carpet moments with the one and only Robert Smith of The Cure. Congratulations, The Cure, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees 2019. Are you as excited as I am? Um, by the sounds of it, no. <laughs> It's just America and Britain. And that's the cultural (laughs) disconnect. Seven seconds that just says it all about those two nations. (laughs) Oh, Oh, I love that. Thank you for that. It's been a while. It's been a while. Let's talk about the reason that we're actually here uh, watching it. Well, some of us were watching the Oscars. I I saw the highlights, so did you, let's be fair. We've been doing Bang On for six years now. We always talk about the Oscars. It's my favourite awards ceremony. I've come to realise, just as an aside, that it's been my dream to attend the Oscars. I think I'm now looking at maybe I should change my career path to becoming a publicist because there's no way I'm ever going to attend as a creative. So maybe I can just be one of those publicists that trots along behind a star and maybe that's, that's the way I attend the Oscars. That is fantastic. <laughs> Have your dreams. Keep... <laughs> Late oh, career change awesome. in order like, to manifest myself at the Oscars at, the at some Oscars. stage in the future. I just think about how terrified you'd be if you actually made it to the Oscars. Like I, I just couldn't imagine. Even though the the thing is no one watches the Oscars anymore. Literally it doesn't rate at all. But I think on, it increased gra- ratings from last year though. Yeah, but they're minuscule. Like on in terms of the amount of news and buzz that it gets, the actual broadcast itself. It's is, no Super Bowl. No. It's got it's got none of the kind of, of the pull that I guess other TV events have. However, imagine if you're up for one, you'd be just, I couldn't speak. I wouldn't be able to speak. And it was so beautiful to see a whole bunch of folk get Oscars this year that would never have been up for Oscars had culturally so many things changed and the gatekeepers had changed. And it just, that was one of the joyful things, I think, about this particular Oscars was that all of a sudden, the world feel, felt to me like it was opening up in a real way because, of course, the movie that took out seven of the awards, everything, everywhere, all at once. I mean, a phenomenal effort for everybody involved. No one thought that they could win as many Oscars as they did and I think that was just a magnificent moment in cinematic history. They really swept the pool and Michelle mm. Yeoh became the first Asian Best Actress winner ever. Um, which I'm sure she was excited about after we found out that she'd been crowned Miss Moomba almost 30 years ago. How good was that? (laughs) Just Moomba gets weirder and weirder. Moomba was on over the last weekend and the fact that the Oscars happened and there was this weird tie, let's just like leave it to Australia to find some, you know, very tenuous link to an Oscar winner. Miss Moomba has got to be one of the best ever. Was it Miss International Moomba? Maybe Miss International Moomba. Apparently, she came came over as a a guest because she won the international competition. And she used to do lots of pageants back in the day. It was like 1984. But of course, I think this probably pips Miss Moomba at the post. And her speech was one of many amazing speeches that night as well. For all the little boys and girls who look like me watching tonight, (laughs) this is the beacon of hope and possibilities. This is proof that dreams dream big and dreams do come true. And ladies, don't let anybody tell you you are ever past your prime. (laughs) Never give up. Yes. On so many levels, just so incredible to hear that speech, to see that representation. Best actress and best supporting actress, both women in their 60s, amazing. 
That's right. That's right. It was, yeah, like we were saying last week, I think the fact that these women are winning awards and the stories that are being told now are stories that have not been told of women outside of the age bracket that was once considered or deemed to be uh, of any kind of value. And that's the fact is we're interested. We want this. And it's so wonderful to see. The other great comeback story and real history maker was her co-star, Kehu Kwan, became the first Vietnamese-born performer to win an Oscar. And also their combined victories marked the first time that more than one performer of Asian descent had won an Oscar in a single year. His speech was amazing. Mm. I loved his hug with Harrison Ford when he came up at the end too, full circle moment from when he was a little kid as Indiana Jones. A lot of people sharing that meme. Um, but there's, there's a big speech and a lot of people were sharing that, particularly sharing um, part of it where he talked about, you know, being in a refugee camp and, and, and coming to America as a refugee and just how much things had changed. This was part of his speech that really had me crying as well. I owe everything to the love of my life. My wife, Echo, who, who month after month, year after year for 20 years, told me that one day, one day, my time will come. Dreams are something you have to believe in. I almost gave up on mine. To all of you out there, please keep your dreams alive. It was really Stop like it. the messages I can't even hear it again. It makes me sad. Not sad in a bad way, but a good way. Like it's joyous. But also like it, it reminds me of the struggle, you know, like we think things are getting better, but there were so many people that just would have struggled against all the structures and the powers that be for so long to to be seen. And you can hear it in that voice. Mm. You can hear it in what he's saying. And yeah, and I think that's why that's why it feels almost sad, you know, it's it's taken this fucking long. Two decades he was yeah. there without work, you know, from the Goonies and Indiana Jones yep. and then just silence. And amazing that a film could do that. But, yeah, it does. You're right to say that. I think there's been a lot of feel-good vibes, a lot of nostalgia too when you're thinking about this, these actors that we've known mm. in certain character roles over the years and then they come through and they're, the, you know, the victors of this great event. But I think it's really good that you point that out, Miff, that it's like, hang on, this is a glaring loss of talent that hasn't been given these opportunities over the last yeah. 20 years. Yes, it's getting better, but, geez, 20 years is a long time to hold on to, to hope and I oh, love that he, he shouted out. I think that's something that's really important when you hear them up on stage thanking their agents, thanking all the creatives that work with them, but thanking their families, the ones yeah. that are there when everything goes quiet, thanking their partners, their wives, yeah. um, their children. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, of course, was really hotly tipped to to win, and of course she did, and it was um, a very big campaign with her as, as favourite and, again, another sort of nostalgic way to, to kick off the ceremony. She won quite early, right after... Kehu Kwan as well. But um, I really liked how her speech was really inclusive, shouting out people who supported her through genre movies. Because when you think about like the sort of Oscar type movies that win, often comedies aren't included, certainly mm. not action films or genre movies. And these are the films that have sustained her through her whole career that have not been uh, lauded critically as as other films have. It's not a typical Oscar-winning film that Jamie Lee Curtis stars in. And I would say Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, neither is not a typical Oscar mm. award-winning film, but it did. And that's another sign 
and hope that the idea of what a great film is, according to the Academy, is shifting too. Well, yeah, I think because they've been more inclusive in terms of who is anointing these awards and I think many people other than the traditional version of the Academy have very different ideas about what is a great film and what's not. And I love that. I like that. That is inspirational to me. One of the things that was lacking, and I just want to call this out before we get into more fun things around the Oscars and other mm. music, art, life and stuff. Sarah Polly uh, was the writer and director of Women Talking. Now, this was a film that was nominated for Best Film, but she was not nominated for Best Director. And yeah. the Best Director field was all male. Very weird that it's a Best Film nomination and not a Best Director because that certainly didn't apply to many of the other films. But she did win the um, Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay and she used that speech to say, and this is a quote, I just want to thank the Academy for not being mortally offended by the words women and talking so close together like that. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. She is the best. There's a bit of music in there too. What did you think of Rihanna and Lady Gaga's performances? Yeah, look great. They were both great. But um, I, I that song, I mean, it's a beautiful one that Rihanna sings, but it's just... It's, it's not a good yeah. song. Nah. Nah. It's, it's pretty... It's not... <laughs> I don't know how Speaking to say of it. elephants in the room, although it's been pretty, like, a lot of people have said that. It's just not a very good song. No, it's, it's, look, it's fine and it's emotional and all those things. And we know that it's written about Chadwick Boseman and it's very heartfelt. But, yeah, I'm not really into it as a song. So, yep, that was fine. Lady Gaga, however, I have many words about her fashion, which we'll get Before to. Before or after? <laughs> are we okay, we're going to talk about Lady Gaga in fashion later on? Yes. Well, there's a lot to dig into around Oscar's fashion. One of the other things that I saw kicking around as well, which was really strange, was around these Oscar gift bags. And before we get into the strange Australian inclusion in them, how much do you reckon they're worth, Miff? Well, I've got an article here that says $125,000. US. <laughs> US. Which is probably more That's than most people earn in a year. Absolutely. <laughs> it's more than that. And it, apparently it also included this year liposuction. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a weird thing to put in a gift. Here's a voucher for liposuction. Here's, here's, here's a voucher to get your fat sucked. $40,000 to stay in a Canadian estate, apparently, That's and good. a whole bunch of other stuff. Japanese so, milk bread as well. So you eat that and then you get the lipo, I guess. It was if they're going to the eat the milk bread. That's of the life. Yeah. Edible massage oil was also in the, um, in the package too. No one asked for that. Edible no. massage oil. <laughs> A $7,000 hair restoration consultation with a leading hair transplant surgeon. Hang on, I'm sorry, a consultation. It's $7,000, not actually any restoration, just no. a chat. A chat yeah. about how you can have more hair on your head. And the liposuction is specific. It's not, you, got, you don't get to choose. It's valued at $12,000, but it's an arm liposuction procedure. <laughs> oh, my God. Very specific. Very specific. <laughs> You can also um, book a facelift with a celebrity surgeon and oh, that's good. eat some chockies too with a video message embedded on the box. Oh, my God. The weirdest thing in this gift bag, though, was a plot of land in Australia. And NITV, among many other news outlets, reported on this. And frankly, I was confused and pretty surprised as well. The Indigenous Carbon Industry Network is seeking legal advice after this happened. Pieces of Australia is the company that yep. have 
paid money to include, and that's what they do. All these companies pay money to be in these gift bags. $4,000 to be in the gift bag. Yeah. So basically push all their stuff. The celebrities don't have to do anything with it. They don't have to post about it. It's just given to them and they hope that they'll, you know, share the love um, on social media or whatever, I guess. So Pieces of Australia have logged in and they have offered small parcels of land on its Enviracean estate in the Western Downs region of Queensland. Um, they've also included, and this is the kicker, they've included the name and materials of ICIN, which is an Indigenous conservation group, but they never contacted them. They never said mm. that they were going to use any images, their name, or gift this land, which was kind of a, it's a symbolic gift, they say. It's a it's about people engaging and participating positively in conservation efforts. That's what the head, the founder, Niels Chanelier, has told The Guardian about his intention but they've but used... giving away but giving away land in the first place when there is an entire group of our population who are asking for their land back uh, it all seems rather ironic and a little bit off doesn't it's it it's just so tone deaf it's just so strange and to use their name in that as well without even consulting them really really weird and a lot of people are talking about this rightly so it's 2023 we talk about all the shifts and we've been discussing that in bang on about all the positive shifts in in representation um in understanding in including people's stories and then you've got this company pieces of australia who are selling licenses to one square meter pieces of land um mm. as a part of this kind of shtick in, in an oscars gift bag so weird it's just bizarre and i yeah, I, I don't know what the intention of this was. Um, I don't I don't really understand the point of it. Is it conservation or is it to make money? I, I, I don't really understand. Well, here's the kicker. Apparently, um, according to the Australian Conservation Foundation's lead investigator, the land that's being sold in pieces by this group is actually right in the middle of a coal seam gas field and that available evidence suggests that the land in question is being exploited for coal seam gas. So in the name of environmentalism and using the names of an Indigenous group without their permission, all of this stuff is is happening. And that environmentalists are saying that saving land one square metre at a time is unlikely to make any real impact. So it's, a not, it's not a not-for-profit. It's a for-profit company that give money back incharitably. Um, but it's a it's a strange one, and I feel like Pieces of Australia have just invited a bunch of really bad press. Ironically, after paying four thousand um, dollars, is that per bag or just total? I don't know. I don't know to um, to include themselves in this in this Oscars gift bag. Definitely the, honest, the weirdest flex of the whole whole thing. I think it is pretty weird. But, but to be honest, I don't want this bag. Aside from uh, uh, no, actually, this doesn't sound that good either. There's a three-night stay at Faro Punta Imperatore Lighthouse in Italy, valued at $9,000. That sounds okay, but you're also in a lighthouse, which means there's no, <laughs> there's no shops around. If you're in a lighthouse, there's nowhere to go. You're stuck. So to be honest, and you know, you get this weird bit of land in Australia that no one wants them to give away. The arm liposuction, fuck that, not doing that. $7,000 hair restoration, don't need. Various Botox, whatever. I mean, $10,000, what are you going to do, really? You don't need that much. Um, and then something else that cleans your jewellery while you wash your hands. I've got, nothing, I've got nothing of value. So this bag, in the bin. In the bin. Waste of money. Oh, yeah, news of the week as well. Just quickly, 
Lizzo is coming out to Australia, Miv. He announces the headliner for Splendour in the Grass, the first and only headliner so far. I'm pretty sure. What else do you need, really? I That's mean, it. Tickets sold. Tickets sold. sold. She's the first time, I think it's got to be the first time, although I have to check the records, that a flautist has headlined Splendour in the Grass. Very good. <laughs> Very good. I'm trying to think of any other bands with a flautist. King Gizzard have got a flautist. Oh, yeah, they do too. Mm. Well, they, have they headlined? I would suspect they probably did headline a night. I don't know if they've headlined. Mm. Um, they should have, but I don't know if they have. But, yeah, like it's great. Great news that Lizzo's coming out. Hopefully it's she'll wonderful. do sideshows. I'll be interested to see how Splendor fares this year. Obviously last year was an absolute shit show. Mm. Um, there was shit in the mud, apparently, quite literally. In the the, um, <laughs> so they've talked about the site being in better shape, better resourcing, um, regardless of weather events or not. Yeah, I think that I think that a lot of punters will be like, I'll be happy to see if that happens and when it happens. But yes, they've got a lot of making up to do, I think, Splendor in the Grass. Yeah, but then also but Lizzo's good. 20, 20 to 30-year-olds don't care. Yeah. They'll go anyway. They'll go anyway and have a good time. Spoken like someone who slept in her car at Meredith when you And were... one year slept under a car. <laughs> don't care. Borrowed my brother's jeans because I was cold and I didn't pack anything and they were like... 20 sizes too big, which would be in fashion now. That's true. But I was dancing around in the in the mud. A loose, like, bo- a loose boot jeans. cut. Little Miff in her loose boot cut. It was a very loose boot cut, <laughs> wrapped in a blanket because it was that cold. But I still was on the dance floor. I was a very high quality 20-something. It's very, very sophisticated. The uh, Speaking of festivals, there was a picture of Pharrell Williams a couple of weeks ago in um, what looked like a, a, a sort of doona or a puffer jacket doona. Mm. And um, it reminded me of, it was basically like a, a big puffer blanket. And yeah. I just saw it and I was like, that's that's Meredith at 3am when you're really that's freezing, but you don't want to go to bed. <laughs> that's the, that's what he's inhabiting right now. Also in music news. I had one of those moments this week where I was like, why is everyone talking about Meg White and her drumming? And then it was like, oh, you do the reverse CSI yeah. on the internet and you're just like, oh. Yeah. What the hell went happened this week online? Lachlan Marquet, also in the bin, has written a tweet. <laughs> the tragedy of the White Stripes is how great they would have been with a half-decent drummer. Yeah, yeah, I've heard all the, but it's a carefully crafted sound man takes. I'm sorry, Meg White was terrible and no band is better for having shitty percussion. <sighs> Lachlan. Well, the internet certainly let him know, didn't they, Miff? Yeah, they certainly did and rightly so. I like that Questlove, who was also a drummer, of course, from The Roots, um, drums with Jimmy Fallon's Tonight Show, you'd know Questlove, Academy Award winner as well. Um, He was there too. He stood up and and spoke out for Meg and he actually said, I try to leave troll views alone, but this right here is out of line AF. Actually, what is wrong with music is people choking the life out of music like an Instagram filter, trying to reach a high of music perfection that doesn't even serve the song. And I think that was kind of reflected by a lot of people. Um, Laura Jane Grace from Against Me wrote about that too, talking about the simplicity with soul will always be more impressive to me than technical virtuosity. People like to criticise drummers like Meg or Penny from Crass. but literally, No, they're all women. Well, yes. Literally no one can recreate their feel. And it's always men who have this bad take. And a lot of people were standing up in defence of Meg, who has always been an iconic drummer to listen to, but also just 
to watch, like the fluidity in which she drums and the way that it just feels like a great drummer for me is someone who looks like the sticks are an extension of their hands. Mm. It's almost like a jazz drumming. And she bashed that kit too. Think about the sound that came out of the white stripes, a two-piece that made you feel like you were hearing a full band. It was remarkable. Yeah. Um, Lachlan Marquet, if you're wondering who he is, he's a journo who has written for and worked with Axios, among other American publications. Um, he's done a full turnaround on this. What has he said? He said, and this is his post as of yesterday, by now you've probably seen an ill-advised and since deleted tweet I sent out yesterday about the White Stripes and Meg White. It was an over-the-top take on the White Stripes and White as a drummer and was, let's face it, Just truly awful in every way. Petty, obnoxious, just plain wrong. A lot of people have now weighed in, both on my nasty and totally unjustified tone and on the merits, pointing out that it is simply untrue. Guess what? They're right. It was a terrible, mean thing to say and also just, you know, wrong and I deeply regret saying it. And not just because of the completely justified backlash, but because I actually don't really believe it. I love the White Stripes, percussion included. I don't know if Meg White herself saw that tweet. I hope not, because I imagine it wouldn't feel great to see a stranger dumping on you like that. So to Meg White, I am sorry, really. And to women in the music business generally, who I think are disproportionately subject to this sort of shit, I am sorry to have fed no, that you as don't. well. You bloody wrote that tweet. I, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a good apology. He's acknowledging stuff, but you still go, where does this come from? Why did you do this without thinking and now you're thinking? Well, he goes, he got caught. He goes on to say that I'm really going to try to be more thoughtful in the future, both on here and off. I've been thinking to myself as all this, again, completely justified, hate comes in over the last 24 hours. Why did I actually write that? It's not what I really think. And I like to think I'm not the asshole it made me out to be, or at least... I try not to be. I think the answer, in part, is that sort of vicious sniping is something that we, us online folks, tend to reward with eyes and clicks. And I think that I got caught up in that implicit incentive structure with a needlessly inflammatory, downright mean, and most importantly, false take. He's also updated his bio saying, formerly blah, 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 you know, with these people. And then bad music take haver. <laughs> uh-huh. So he's owning it. He's owning it. But also he's probably worried about his career. Well, yes. Why do we do it and why do we think about why we do it after we do it? But he was certainly told, and look, wasn't we're all he? guilty of that. We're all guilty of doing things like that and then going, shit, why did I do that? And, I, you know, none of us are perfect in that sense. But I, I do wonder with a take like that in the current environment where everybody knows that it's just not cool why he would still do it without thinking, you know, and I just go, well, you must have one very, very thick skull, sir, in this current climate to write a tweet like that. Seems just so incredibly out of touch. Yeah, a journalist should know how much a tweet like that or any kind of tweet can be magnified, amplified, retweeted and become a news story. So bit of a bung take. Uh, He got told. Mm-hmm. And nice to see that Meg was celebrated. And I'm sure she did see that. And I hope that she has um, has not felt the wrath of, of Lachlan Marquet. I don't think she is. She's probably sitting in her lovely house, paid for by her magnificent drumming <laughs> and the music that gave millions of people a whole lot of pleasure. I hope that Lachlan does not even exist on her radar because he doesn't deserve to. 
Miff, are you ready for some hot takes of our own? You bet. Done with nothing but love and admiration. It's time. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a big fashion because the Oscars went down on the champagne carpet. Actually, beige. We need to address yeah. this beige elephant in the room first. I didn't hate it. Really? I didn't hate it at all. I thought it was quite good. I didn't miss the red, to be honest. I thought it I thought it made the dresses pop. I think that the problem was that not everyone got the memo, and that's on their own heads because apparently there was a message sent out saying, we're going to change the colour of the carpet. Apparently that was changed because the area for photographs was sheltered rather than outside and they thought that red would be too dark for the pictures. Mm. So they changed it to champagne, which looked beige. And it did look a bit like you were work, working at, um, what's that pine shop in America, what, Pine Barn or something? Is that pine it? Pine Barn? You know that colour? It's like Pine Barn. It's like a, a homeware shop. Or Bed Bath & Beyond? <laughs> West Elm? West Elm, that's it. <laughs> pine Barn. You know what? And this speaks to exactly what I think about this colour. Rich people, as they get richer, they just start putting everything beige in their house. Everything mm. becomes a different shade of beige. Well, we've seen Colour Kim is Kardashian's out, beige house. is in. We've seen Kim Kardashian's house with, with, that she had with Kanye. Like, There's not an ounce of colour in that cement tomb. Maybe this is why they made it beige because they wanted to have all the rich people feel like they were in their natural environment mm. of beige blandness. Yeah. Um, but that was why, and I think that a few people, including Jamie Lee Curtis, now Oscar Award winner, who did have a dress the exact same colour as the carpet and was kind of like, what the fuck? <laughs> this is not cool. <laughs> um, there were plenty of actors whose outfits popped. What were some of the highlights for you, Miff? Oh, Salma Hayek looks incredible oh, yeah. in that rust-coloured shimmy number that ha- obviously had bits of rust-coloured material that would have fallen all over the floor and the carpet <laughs> throughout the night. Everyone would know where exactly where she's been. I thought she looked amazing. Like, how is she looking like that? Like, it, she doesn't stop looking incredible ever. Um, trying to think who else was great. Oh, I've got to say... One of my personal favourites, purely for the entertainment value, Sing, it was singer-songwriter Thames, who was in that white gown that looked like she'd been dried, you know, with that spray cream whip, when you do the cream out the thing and it was sort of like over her head and all around the dress. It, it was it was a little bit like she'd either been draped from a haberdashery store or sprayed with cream whip. But sitting She'd in the sit audience. She's down to spotlight is what you're saying. Exactly, exactly. And But everyone in the audience couldn't see through the bit that went up above her head. Oh, my God, I felt so bad for everyone sitting behind her. Totally. Imagine that you've got this like primo seat at the Oscars and all yeah. you're looking at is this white tulle the whole time. You can't see through Thames. And she's not short. Like if it was me, it wouldn't make a difference if I was wearing some sort of halo. You'd look like a little meringue in there, Miff. Exactly. Oh, that's it. It's very meringue, wasn't it? <laughs> it's very good. Very good. Um, and Florence Pugh in a doona for both parties. <laughs> um, I think this is so sensible. The Florence and- Pugh outfit was, I looked at that and I was like, this is what happens when you don't know how to fold the fitted sheet. So you just throw it over <laughs> yourself and let it bundle and it becomes a dress. It had real fitted sheet vibes. Absolutely, with a couple of pillowcases caught in the corner that you haven't realised are still in there. <laughs> when you go to fold it, it's like, oh, no, it's, that's still a bit damp. Um, 
yeah, I love that because it looked casual, it looked comfortable, but she also looked like she was having a fashion moment as well. And you could rug up later if need be when you're going out for a vape or whatever it is that young people do these days. <laughs> Just tuck the corners in and there you are. Yeah. You're pretty much in bed. Yeah, we, yeah, exactly. Perfect. Um, can we talk about boning? It's everywhere Oh, this yeah, year. true. It's that was a real ev- trend, wasn't it? Everywhere, but it's not on the inside, which I, I totally appreciate. It's on the outside. Mm. Everyone's, everyone's showing their boning like it's some sort of skeletal pride or something. I'm not sure Skeletal why. pride. Yeah, it's like I'm just going to show you the insides of my dress. We've maybe, shown you everything else of our bodies. Let's show the insides of our dress now. Maybe it's like maybe, the, de- the deconstructed latte where you just get everything there on a little plate on you know, at, at a fancy cafe. This is the deconstructed dress, just turning it in, inside out to show people about literally the bones of, of the, the structure. Bones. I know, I know. Do, I mean, I'm not sure why exactly why it's a moment, but Lady Gaga took it to the nth extreme. She had a sheer number that was boned all the way down, but... In fact, it was the skirt was so low. It was like, do you remember the hipster pants of mm. the of the two thousands? Like really, extremely, extremely low. And everyone was saying the queen has arrived and she looks amazing. I just kept feeling like going. I just want to pull your skirt up. It was a little bit brown low. I've got to say, a little bit it brown low. Showing totally that. brown low. Or Kath and Kim. It was Kim. <laughs> it was Kimmy. You know, like it just. I just don't. I thought it was an absolutely beautiful dress, but. I don't need to air the top of my butt crack when I'm out, I hope. And I'm not sure why this is a thing. Like, why are we, why is this a thing again? Well, we talked a little bit about Because our tattoos this. up there are not great either. Like, and hers, <laughs> those tramp stamps from that, that time are not great. Her tattoo down there is not great. But, like, we're going back there. What's it all about? I can't quite put my finger on it. We talked about it last week in terms of just showing more and more flesh. And there was a little bit less of that, although there were plenty of fleshy, fleshy moments. Oh, I regretted <laughs> that as soon as I started that sentence. With the outfits on the red carpet and beyond. And I will point out that there were different outfits then at the Vanity Fair after party. People went through like some of them, two to three outfits across the night. But last week we were talking about this and the trend of circumboob, which is showing pretty much all, you know, the circumference of a boob, all all you've really got to do. And no one did that better on the Oscars red carpet than Hunter Schaefer, who is one of the actors from Euphoria. She was in an outfit by Anne. Would you call it that? Would you call it an outfit? I'm not sure it even <laughs> deserves that title. The, the, the designer is Anne Dimulimista. Well and if, if you haven't seen this yet, I'm surprised. The one that I'm talking about is she's got, again, a very low-slung skirt. It's sort of white cream satin, low-slung below the belly button, really sitting low on the hips, very long, kind of cut on the bias, so sits nicely. And then up top she's got a feather over her nipples and that's it. Just a that's feather. <laughs> just a white feather. Just a feather. <laughs> that's all you need. I mean, it's taking the idea of just wearing a tissue when you're like 22 <laughs> years old and don't feel the cold. You know, we always make jokes about, oh, she's just wearing a tissue. Why is she just going out in a tissue? My mum used to say the same thing, but this is taking it to the next extreme. Um, it's like I'm not going to even bother with a tissue. It's feather time. And <laughs> in, in a way, I kind of love it. Like I hate it because... It's, I mean, I couldn't wear it, basically. We heard, we heard the podcast last week. But I would if I could, you know. Um, it's it's like, you know, the uh, burlesque performers that had the feather fans? Mm. It's almost like she forgot the fan. Just plucked one and out just and plucked gone, one do. out and went, that'll do. That'll do. Did you see Celeste Barber has accepted the challenge of recreating it? Have you seen that yet? <laughs> yes. Just I like did. smashed a, a white feather duster over her boobs. <laughs>
Excellent work as always. So good, so good. There's yeah, there's some fabulous ones. Any other highlights from you that you think were worthy of discussion? Oh yeah, look, the British model Adwoa Aboa was in an amazing outfit, um, dressed by Lowe, and she was again celebrating the boob. She had two white Anthuriums covering her boobs. Now, What's an anthurium? Well, you know this plant because they're unsafe for cat smith. They're one of those tropical, big, oh. flat, sort of almost like plastic-looking round leaves. They often come in red and they've got that really strong yellow stamen yeah. coming out of the middle. But she mm. was wearing one each, and I'm assuming they were fake ones, uh, one each of those just like on her boobs with a stamen sticking out. Oh, <laughs> and I thought that was a great look. It wasn't quite circum boob. It was um, plant boob or flower yeah. boob. Um, unsafe for cats, but uh, in other ways just absolutely Well, hopefully beautiful. no cats are going to be eating at her nipples. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, what's that? I don't know. Oh, sorry. That was sorry. That's just a pop-up that opened up and had sound. <laughs> It's, it's when you because the only reason I open news.com articles is when I have to look up the Oscars fashion. Yeah, and then and, they just uh, blast and then you with pop ups. Full of pop ups, full of pop ups. Well, on the opposite spectrum from showing lots of skin, Tracy Ellis Ross looked incredible in Balmain. She was wearing um, a kind of, again, skirt sort of cut on the bias with a bit of a fishtail sticking out and then like a black top underneath and then this big. It's like a, a a cloche cape, like this big white cape, and then a hat. Like there was just so much Hang going on. I don't on. remember this one. I need to look her up. Tracy Ellis Ross. I know she is, but I'm trying to Oscars. Sorry, just googling. No, it's good. I feel comforted by the sounds of your little nails tapping away when Miff googles. Oh yes, it's good, isn't it? Serving. I think it was cold too, so that would have been good. Everyone who was doing circumboob and showing the flesh would have been a little bit chilly on the red carpet. Mm. And you know what? That hat is also great because when all the hors d'oeuvres come out and you haven't eaten for three weeks because you're going to the Oscars, that'd be fabulous. You could put a few spares in that one. <laughs> That's fantastic. Unlike people with circumboob who'd just be shuffling, shuffling a, a canapé <laughs> under their boobs and just storing it there for later. Yes. <laughs> little sweaty hors d'oeuvre. Yep. <laughs> Nothing wrong. I found a little bit of bit of lunch in between my boobs the other day. <laughs> something for later. Something for later, something for Ron, as we like to say. I don't know who suggested it, but there was definitely talk about being more sustainable with the Oscars. And I, I don't think many of the um, attendees actually did that. A lot of them wore new dresses. But a few people, including Kate Blanchett, wore vintage dresses, dresses that had been out many, many years ago. My favourite piece of sustainable fashion, though, was from one of the Daniels who won uh, Best Directors and, and Best Film. These were the men behind Everything Everywhere All at Once. And Daniel Scheinert, um, apparently, his slim-fitting black suit, he actually bought a few years ago from a store in Alabama called Unclaimed Baggage. I don't know if you've ever heard of these stores or mm. auctions, but basically... They sell the things from people's lost luggage. You can often go to auction and be like, I'm just going to bid on this bag that no one's ever picked up. And they're things that have been lost for years. So there's no way they could have found this person. They've then, you know, this bag's just sitting there and people often bid on the um, insides of it and whatever they find, they find. This store actually just sells things from inside the bag so you know what you're buying. And he bought this suit because it's, you know, he just realised, I'm starting to go to more events. Didn't know that he was going to be at the Oscars a couple of years later. And just started attending more and more red carpet events, so bought this lost luggage suit, and that's oh. what he wore to the ceremony. Oh, How good is that? Beautiful. That's good, but I'm still stuck on the fact that people are actually buying other people's suitcases and 
I can't get over that. Like, imagine if you just open it up, it's got someone's dirty undies in there. It's the luck of the draw, man. Undies and socks, I can't. It's a big, it's a big industry in auctions for lost luggage. You've got to get on board with that. It's a little potluck for you. I'm sure is. <laughs> what are you banging on about this week? Oh, my goodness. This is gorgeous. It's a new television series. Lots of people are talking about it at the moment. It's called Shrinking. Mm. And there seems to be a real trend at the moment, um, television shows that are somehow loosely based on a therapist or a psychoanalyst in or a psychologist's experience. And this is yet another one. So to be honest, I was like, oh, do I need another one of these in my life? But, yes, I do because I love watching stories about, you know, people working their lives out. I, I really enjoy that. And and I found out that this was actually created by the folk behind Ted Lasso. So it's touted as a bit of a grittier Ted Lasso in that the main protagonist, um, Jimmy, is played by Jason Siegel. He is a therapist and he is grieving the death of his wife. He has a young daughter, a teenage daughter, who's living upstairs basically, who has nothing to do with him because he's going through um, – some sort of addiction and, you know, like working through all of his grief in a really, really bad way. But then what happens is he goes back to work and he decides to tell his clients like it is. So, and this leads to all sorts of adventures that would not normally happen, I guess, from a psychologist's perspective. He's a bit of an outlaw mm. in, in a way. And they're not all great outcomes either. I mean, it's there's there's a lot of value in not probably telling people like it is and allowing them to work it out for themselves. <laughs> so as you can see, that's where the drama ensues. But um, the, the kind of the highlight of the show is Harrison Ford. He's only done one other television role and I can't even think what it was, but he's always been in film and... Uh, this is a great role for him. He plays a really dry um, uh, psychologist who's kind of in charge of the whole business and I just think he's fantastic in this and there's lots of really funny little stories in it that make it worth a look and they're sort of little half-hour episodes so it's pretty easy, um, each one different. And then there's, you know, there's the through line. It's 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 cute. It's it's good. It's It's got the Ted Lasso vibes but a bit grimier. Yeah, it's a good cast too. I think there's a member of used to be Saturday Night Live in it who plays one of the other yep. um, psychiatrists. She's really awesome. I've only seen a couple of episodes, but I definitely want to dive back in. And I love a half hour show. We yeah. love a half hour show. Love a half hour. Little love tidbit, it, love it. little little canapé of a show. Yeah, exactly. That you can hold in Tracy Ellis Ross's hat or under a feather <laughs> boob. Speaking of not little. Um, snacky shows the last of us which wrapped up this week oh yeah no spoilers don't worry i know that people take their time with it and some people wait till the series is over or just haven't gotten around to it yet um but amazing to experience that show nine episodes in and sweaty feet and hands and all i'm not good with scary stuff but i loved it and i just wanted to recommend for anybody who didn't come across it because this kind of started auto playing for me when i finished it last night there's a making of The Last of Us, oh. which is on Binge as well, and it is so good. It makes you realise, oh, the reason it looks really good is because there's a shit ton of money in it. But all the yeah. visual effects, the way that the the detail in which they built the sets and that human, you know, the visual effects are one part of it, but just that, that human-made set building and the detail in which they created these incredible worlds um, is really beautiful and I think such a great shout-out to all the people behind the scenes that make television what it is. Uh, and also Pedro Pascal, just hearing him talk and be, exist is a is a beautiful thing to watch. So, um, yeah, highly recommend that making of. And for anybody who's enjoyed The Last of Us, as I have, 
I hope you enjoyed the last episode as much as I did. Nice tip. No spoilers, but I am banging out about a book this week because this one just came out and it's by an author who's been acclaimed in the past, but I've got to say I hadn't heard of her before. Her name's Rebecca Mackay. She wrote a book called The Great Believers about the AIDS epidemic. That was her last book. She's written four books and that one won a lot of awards. This is her new book. It's called I Have Some Questions For You. And it is the fictional story of a character called Thalia Keith. She's a high school senior. She's found drowned in the campus pool. A 25-year-old teacher is charged and jailed for her murder. And then about 20 years later, Thalia's old roommate, Bodie Kane, who was just an acquaintance but just roomed with her, returns to this boarding school where they were, where it all happened, and is teaching a podcasting class. And she starts opening up some mysteries and some old wounds. And... We talk about true crime a little bit on Bang On and we've talked about how I personally don't like it. I find the exploitation of women and girls suffering in the name of mystery and entertainment um, Mm. unethical and pretty gross. This kind of addresses all of that while also exploiting the same tropes. It does it in a really clever way. Okay. The Bodie Kane is a podcaster. Like there's a lot of meta things going on in this book. And it's also, I don't know if you've ever read Donna Tartt's book, The Secret History, but that is a book that was set on a campus as well. And all of that, like life on campus and the things that happen in boarding schools, in campuses, in this kind of closed bubble um, are always really compelling. And this is no different. It sort of really dives into that world of what happens when you're away from adults like your parents, but around are around adults that aren't your parents. I won't say anything more than that, but it is um, a real page turner. I think it's one of those books as well that works well for book clubs, if that's your vibe, because okay. there's just a lot to dig into. And holiday read? Holiday read, yeah. It is a holiday read, um, and it's really funny as well in places and really clever, and it's a very feminist take in many ways. There's certain things in it that are like – yeah, this is good, <laughs> but um, <laughs> she's nailed it here. But just also for me, great discovery of a brilliant writer that I'd not heard of before, and I'm definitely awesome. going to go back and read The Great Believers. So, yeah, it just came out in late February. It's called I Have Some Questions For You by Rebecca Mackay. Great. So that's Love my that. hot tip. I ended up in, you know, engaging in a true crime um, story and enjoying it, Miv. So, yeah, this is good. But it's meta. It's meta. 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 Okay. I can't wait. I'm going to read that, actually. I think you'd like it. I think I will. Um, that's it. We're done. Bloody big episode. Huge. Oh, my gosh. I need to go and put on a Tracy Ellis Ross outfit and just – actually, you know what? I need to put on a Florence Pugh outfit and just tuck mm. the corners in and have a little nap after that. Absolutely. Under the table. <laughs> See you next week. She knows where it's at. See ya. <laughs> Bang. on mornings <laughs> and then he comes running it's one of the funniest most heartwarming things they are the most heartwarming animals you'll ever meet they love cuddles they're beautiful 